everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. I'm Peter Bolden. And I'm Craig Spodak. Dentistry can sometimes feel lonely. Having over 45 years of combined experience and the chops to run eight successful practices, our mission is simple. Pay it forward and share what we've learned. That's why we developed the Bulletproof Pathway to help you navigate your way to ultimate success in dentistry. And don't forget to join our community's conversation over at bulletproof.dental. Now, let's get to it. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. It's Peter and I again. It's been a long time, Peter. Got a lot yeah. of guest hosts, and you know, if I if I wasn't so secure about myself, I think I'd be um I'm being um, asked to to depart. Yeah, well, yeah, you didn't you didn't get that certified letter. Oh no, you know what? I didn't. I have I've been uh, out of the country, so I should shouldn't have spoke too soon. But I, I invited my way into this thing. I guess uh, it's only a matter of time. Well, make it count, considering this is your last. So yeah, make so today make today count. Today will count actually, because it's an important subject that I'm really excited to dive into. And I wonder, you know, there's, there's a lot of shame in dentistry. And I, I oftentimes say that, I don't know if I said it on the podcast or not, you know, I'm just an associate, I'm just a GP, I'm just the this, I'm just a, I'm just a that, I don't own my own practice. There's so many qualifying verbiage that comes out of most dentist mouths and it's, it's usually coming from a place of shame. And there's a narrative and we can probably have a separate podcast about where it's coming from, but a narrative that you should own your own practice. And whether it's from your supply house or the people that make all the technology or the people that are um, um, trying to sell you the dental chairs, but they want you to run and open your own practice. And I think it's from a business standpoint, big business, big dental business that wants you to go out and buy all that stuff. But in so actual, you're, so you're coming. So the, so today you're discussing kind of the difference between entrepreneur, entrepreneur, and then the, and then the pains and the uh, and the solopreneur. Pains. And the solopreneur, and then the the stresses on all of them. Thank you, Peter. Um, Thank you. So yes, I'm just, I'm just making sure that's what that's what we're. Yeah, yeah. Today okay. is about entrepreneur versus solopreneur versus yep. intrapreneur. Yep. And um, I don't think those are widely understood, and it's just good to identify who you are. Well, give a quick definition, Craig, in your mind of, okay, of so those like, three. Okay, so Peter, you're an entrepreneur, right? Mm-hmm. You're a dentist by trade. Um, you don't practice clinically, but you grow practices and you have a business mind that allows you to grow businesses that are productive, whether or not you actually work in them directly as a dentist or provider in those practices. That's an entrepreneur. Yep. A solopreneur is what most of our listeners is. It's a single operating professional, an architect or a dentist doesn't have any other dentists working with them. Um, but your business would essentially stop if you decided to not practice in it anymore. That's the majority of people, solopreneur. And then an intrapreneur is an associate, a person who works for a guy like you or maybe me, and they create their own business within the framework of an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And what's great about being an intrapreneur and what I love about entrepreneurs is that their income, their salary, their wages is decoupled from their, their retirement asset and their, their, their retirement account. So for guys like you and me, Wait, what do you mean? What do you mean? Well, an, you and I have our retirement and our wealth strategy intimately locked with our businesses, with our equity, with our equity. Yeah. Correct. Our equity in our businesses. 
Yeah. So imagine an entrepreneur, you know, an associate that works in a practice and is doing well, successful, making a couple hundred grand a year. And that practice doesn't do well. That practice, that area doesn't do well. Something happens, a, a, a hurricane or a flood or just the, the demographics change. He's going, he or she's going to take his skills or her skills and go find another entrepreneur working. Because they're, they're always going to be protected. They'll always have their skill. And when they invest in themselves, like you and I have to invest in bricks and mortar and build stuff, they only have to invest in their skill. Mm-hmm. So if they go out and they take COIS or, you know, all these different courses and learn a new skill or a new craft, that, can, that stays with them for their entirety of their career. And what I love about the entrepreneur is that their salary and the retirement strategies are decoupled. What does that mean? That means that they're making a couple hundred grand a year, maybe more. And they get to diversify their retirement account. In other words, they're not building a practice. They're not building brick and mortar or chairs. And if something were to go wrong, it doesn't collapse their whole retirement strategy. So they can invest in S&P or maybe cryptocurrency or have real diversified uh, portfolio of real estate. And I love that because now you have your income and your wealth as two separate um, silos. And I think from a protection standpoint, you're going to be more protected than the average person because we've all been fed this narrative that yes, build a practice and run it well. Oh, and it's going to be worth so much money. Oh yeah. They're paying 50 times multiples now. Mm-hmm. It's just not true. I mean, Peter, how many people have you talked to that come to you and say, Hey, I heard my practice is worth double digit, you know, or X number of millions of dollars. And you like, well, I got a letter in the mail saying that they do 300, 300% top line revenue. So that must be what it's worth. Right. No. Yeah. yeah well, I'm, I'm saying not me. I'm saying I'm, right. I'm saying a hypothetical. I, I hear this. Right. Um, and, and in so. actuality, when you go to sell as a solopreneur and you go to sell your business, they're really going to pay you with your own money. So the the DSO is going to buy you, or the the owning the ownership company is going to buy you, and pay you out over you know maybe the clawback over three to five years. And it's really going to be like, you, you might do the math and it might look real sexy. And then at the end of the day, you're like, I should just work here for seven or eight years and then throw it away. Well, that's a good, I want you to pause there. So when we, we always talk about EBITDA and earnings, so think about it, right? So whatever multiple you get, that's essentially the year. It's equivalent to the year and how long they're paying you back with your own money, right? right. So if you get an ADAX, they're saying, hey, we like, that's a good valuation, we don't mind making our money back until about eight years from now, essentially, right? And they're they're planning on growing the practice, right? But if if it's a three x, it's a three year, right? So that's a that's a funny way that you just kind of you said that and a light bulb kind of went off. You're like, yes, that is paying you their own money, and you can actually find out how long they're paying you their money based on how much money they're giving you up front, based on the the multiples of an EBITDA if you're in that scenario. And, right. and, and I don't want to go too deep down this rabbit hole. I know, I know, but I can't help it sometimes. <clears throat> no, no, this is a great conversation. But what the point I was trying to make is that the idea that grow your own practice because it'll be very sellable in the future is not something that is, is predictable or guaranteed. And if you, if like, look at your career or my career, let's say if you, if you wanted to practice dentistry and love practicing dentistry and love doing what you do, I could argue, and it would just be, a, it's a financial calculation that if you make a certain amount of money and you invest it and you diversify that asset, I think you'd be better off doing that than opening up more dental practices. Because even though the narrative is like open up these dental practices and it'll be worth a lot of money, chances are you're not going to have the entrepreneurial gifts to do what you think you're going to be able to do. 
you get to one or two, like, you know, our friend Tim always says, you know, you open up the first one because you're awesome at it. You open up the second one and you're running in between two and, you know, two different locations and you open up the third and you're like, oh shit, nothing's really making sense here. Right. So I just think that that narrative that's been sold to us and that, that narrative also creates shame because, you know, I just have one practice or I'm just, I'm not, I'm just an associate because there's, there's a narrative that says you're supposed to own multiple practices or, you know, be an entrepreneur in dentistry. And I don't think that always fits. And what made me think of this topic was like, you don't hear medical doctors saying, oh, I'm just an associate at the Cleveland clinic. You know, I don't own the Cleveland clinic. You know, right. I just work there. Right. It's freaking awesome. Like it's an amazing organization and you do not care that you have no ownership in the Cleveland clinic, but in dentistry, it's so readily, you know, the medical profession doesn't have that, but that's a recognized badge of honor. Meaning, meaning yet you're right. Dentistry doesn't have that analog in dentistry. There's no, there's no Cleveland clinic style dental thing that, that people have this, this status signal, this badge of honor to say, yeah, I'm one of those dentists. Well, there are some some iconic practices that people are really proud to work at and, you know, they're going to, you know, maybe it, there, there's some level of pride around certain iconic dental offices to work at. And those dentists that work there may have to work harder and make less you know, money. As, as you're talking about this and, and you're, you're going through the, the three types and, and have you gone over the solopreneur? Did you go over all three types? Okay. Yeah. Solopreneur is the, the typical dentist. So works for the itself. thing that popped in my head when you're talking about this is, is risk. And so with a there's symmetric risk and asymmetric risk, right? And there's a, and with symmetric risk, you get symmetric returns, meaning here's my time, here's my money, right? And you can, and, and honestly, we know, we know of several people who dentists who their time is very valuable. They're associate dentists and they're probably making a million dollars or close to a million dollars a year, right? Yeah, it's we doable, know this, yeah. right? So, and I know lots of, lots of practice owners who make nowhere near that. So it's not that, you know, if, if the end game is, well, I want to do it because I want to make more money, right? Right. Because that's what we're talking about in the risk. But usually uh, asymmetric risk is a scenario where it, if that resonates with you, and I mean asymmetric, meaning minimal downside and unlimited upside. Um, and that usually resonates with entrepreneurs and people who really need to take more, more risks. Because like you said, in, in the, in the instance where there's a business owner uh, versus the, the, <clears throat> Uh, let's say the associate or the, or the dentist who doesn't have equity, you're right. They can carry their skill down the way. If the practice doesn't work and they work in the practice, cool. They're still getting paid regardless, right? They're upping their skills, getting paid regardless, and they can hop and take those skills to the next and next and next. You are totally right. When the In the owner scenario, there's a lot of risk going on in terms of taking on debt to then going with this thesis of, I'm going to open up these practices or practice. And if you're wrong... You're, you're screwed. You're real wrong. You're real right? wrong. You're wrong for, for, for a long time, especially if that goes into a situation where you're in a chapter seven situation where you're having banks reclaim stuff. And I've known several dentists that's happened to. So you have to be, you have to be, it's a risk tolerance that you need to know about, right? Symmetric risk versus asymmetric risk. I, Craig, you got, you taught, you opened this pod with me kind of knowing, like I knew that I was unfit to work for someone. Right. I knew early on in my life that I was an entrepreneur. I mean, I didn't know what that word was, but at age 12, I was buying and selling dirt bikes. Right. At age 15, I, I, I was able to be a waiter for one day. My dad said, go get a job. I got fired in one day. One day. I was horrible, horrible. You know, you know, I sold, but hold on. So hold on. And so I pivoted and said, 
all right, well, I'm going to open up my own pressure washing business. <laughs> okay. Which I did uh, in college. I, I put myself through a lot of dental. I, I paid off a lot of dental school by buying and selling domains. I've told you this before. Yeah. Right. So it's just in my DNA. And when I found out that dentistry, um, you know, irregardless of what my professor said that I, that I was capped in earnings and this and that I was just going to be a general dentist, regardless of what they said, when I finally got out and saw that there was no ceiling, I was like, Holy shit, this is an entrepreneur's paradise. If you want, if you don't want, it's still just a, you know, it's still a great profession. So, and honestly, this has been backed up by the stuff that Dwight has been working with us on, Craig, with the, with the culture index, right? That culture yeah. index defined and basically said like, look, you love this stuff. You love a risk. You love an entrepreneur. You love the visionary stuff. You love, love, love this stuff. So it's back to what you always say. You always say this, Craig, know thyself. Yeah. Know thyself. Do not cut and paste people's narratives. And I know, I know I kind of hijacked your thread on the differences, so to speak, of you know, entrepreneur, solopreneur. Um, I know I've kind of hijacked it into, into, into something else right now, but I think it boils down to that again. Yeah. But there's also, and I agree with everything you said, in addition to that though, Peter, it's like you, you and I are hyper uh, invested in dentistry, you know? So Peter Malouk has a very famous saying. He said to me once, he's like the number one reason why people get on the fortune 100 list is consolidation in one area. And he said the number mm-hmm. one reason why they fall off the Fortune 100 list consolidation in one area. Yeah. So you know, as as you make we, your money in in specification and you keep your money in diversification. Exactly my point. Are you getting the most out of your practice? Well, find out exactly what type of dentist you are and understand exactly how to get impactful results by zeroing in on your superpowers and mitigating your weakness. Want to find out? Head over to dentistquiz.com now to get your results. So mm-hmm. you make your money in, in specific knowledge, but you grow your money in diverse assets, portfolios. Mm-hmm. So you and I have everything works out fantastic and the timing and everything's perfect. It'll be great. It'll be fantastic right. you know, for all of us. But it, 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 you know, for the associate dentist that's working you know, for an entrepreneur, for the intrapreneur, the person that's refining their skills, constantly investing, going all the courses, learning a wide variety of skills. That person, as long as they have the financial discipline and they start early, they could dwarf the best dental entrepreneurs. Total. What? Well, in in return on investment, low stress and diversification. I agree. I agree because you're you're the business is you. You are the business. Meaning, when right. you're in that scenario, you are the business, and you get to right. focus on that on the micro, meaning just me, just my skills, just my case presentation, just my speed, just right. my efficiency, all the right. things of me. And, and you get to take that to the next. So right, you're saying but, that's investing in yourself is what it right, is. Right. And and what you'll oftentimes hear is, yes, I would do that, but I don't own a practice. Mm. So I, you know how many times I've heard someone, I'd love to go to the Bulletproof Summit. I just, I don't own my own practice. I'm like, mm. uh, okay. Do you own your own result? Because I have associate dentists that work with me. Some make 220 and some make 790. Same thing. What's the difference? It's their results and and the efforts they put in. So there's there's a narrative that says, I cannot, I am not going to bother learning right now because I don't own my own practice. And I've seen associates (laughs) that work for friends that were really kind of bare minimum associates. They weren't really doing very much. They went out, they opened up their own practice. They started investing in their skills and they started kicking butt. But imagine if they just would have done it while they were an entrepreneur. 
Right. So it's just, there's a very interesting thing. And I hope I'm, I'm, I'm making, I hope we're making ourselves clear about this idea that I won't do it because I don't own it, but it just do it <laughs> because you do own your result. And, uh, yeah, and, and, and you can, you can own your result and you can also brand yourself in today's day and age for 100%. free, right? Like we talk about this at summit, you know, the, yeah. the, the Instagram and the, and the tick, you know, all the branding stuff you can do. Like Jenny Pernan does a ton of that. You know, see, she's an associate or was an associate and she built her own brand. Right. Yeah. Um, and there's and, a guy that shares space with one of our masterminders may nameless, but he's a very influential dentist. He lectures about direct bonding procedures. He gets tons of patients from Instagram and he shares space out of one of our mastermind doctors. Yeah. Doesn't own them. Doesn't own anything. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's just, it's really cool that, that idea. And I just think that um, the idea of an associateship has, um, you know, or I, I should, I should clarify it. Like the idea of a career long associateship has a degree of shame to it. And I really don't think it should. And if I had the opportunity to go work in an amazing practice that looked the part and functioned the part, I would have signed up in a second. I only did what I did because there was nothing like it around. Okay, well, but let, oh, let's okay. So go, let's go back to something because you talk about we talked about equity, and I'm not I'm not going to get into equity of dentistry, right? But but you do you cannot make your way to riches by just aggregating dollars and putting it into account especially in today's yeah. day and age. Well, so where does, the, where does the super associate that you're talking about, where does the, well, I guess you've defined the solopreneur and the entrepreneur usually have equity. So where does that associate dentist, where would you advise them to go create wealth? Wealth oh, beyond, so easy. The best where? place ever. Where? Real estate. The okay. best place ever. The best place ever. You and I have access to a lot of very wealthy friends and no wealthy people. And the one commonality amongst many of them is real estate. Okay. So, you know, the, the pain of, of an associate dentist or even the pain of any well-producing um, craftsperson like a dentist is that our income comes as ordinary income. Mm. We get taxed to high hell. The ultra rich actually don't, they have assets. They don't make money. They make, they, they, or they have assets. So they don't pay right. the same level of taxation. So the true hedge and the true way for a dentist to, you know, turn their income into true wealth is just real estate. You know, it's living below your means. And, and it's like, but again, early. this is, that's a sweeping generalization and it's dangerous because a lot of people got real hurt, Greg, in 2008. If you had taken this advice and heard this podcast in 2007 and went all in, you got really hurt, right? Meaning, meaning 10 years of your quote unquote associate money could have been wiped out in three or four months if you had been playing long in the real estate market. Now, granted, it would have recovered by now, right? If you if you zoom out, yeah. Had you recovered. not had you not panicked and sold, had it. you not panicked and sold, but sometimes a lot of people didn't have the choice whether to not panic and sold because they were being foreclosed on. So, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, I don't want to make it seem so easy. It takes it takes, especially if if look if you hate real estate, if you hate managing properties, if you hate looking at that stuff, if you you know, then then again, know thyself and know that like that's probably not where you're going to make. It's not going to be fun. Well, you asked the specific question about like asymmetric risk and reward. The way to do that is commercial real estate, but it's also a higher stakes game. Mm -hmm. But, you know, investing in the S&P. Why is it higher stakes? Well, because it's leveraged and, you know, you can get yourself in trouble. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if you get some vacancies and stuff like that, it's also specific knowledge required to enter the real estate market. And you need capital. But I mean, investing in any tangible asset, even the S&P. 
Yeah. Had you taken, you know, had you taken 20% of your, if we had taken our careers and taken 20 to 30% of what we had earned and just dumped it in the S and P the S and P 500 is the stock portfolio, right? We'd have a significant amount. Of totally. Money. Here's why I like, you know, when you're talking about the, the S and P, you have to have, you have to own all those funds to go deploy, meaning you have to, with real estate, you can have leverage. And so leverage can either wipe you out or create a lot more wealth for you. Right. Yeah. So well, you won't get it. You won't get a capital call if it's not leveraged. Well, right, right, right. So, if you're in the S and P, it's all your dollars that you deployed, yeah, right. right? With the real estate situation, it's typically you put in one, and the bank puts in the remaining four. Yeah. If we're talking about getting to five dollars, and so there's leverage created, which can work out. So if you buy it right, and you're going to hold it a long time, then yes, that is a that is a good way to wealth. And so you and I are of the same mindset because we like. You know, you talked about it, the tax advantages, blah, 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 but we like it. So we've learned about it and we study it and we get on a loop net and we look at properties and blah, 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 all the things. So I, I, I don't know why I'm going down this trail of, of wealth, but because um, it's really not applicable so much to what you're talking about. But I think that's that. Well, is it, is, the- it is. It was like part of the fundamental idea of that mm-hmm. a, a well-disciplined entrepreneur can kick ass, mm-hmm. can kick ass. And let's talk like, listen, it's not just, a, uh, it's not just money, but emotion and time. Like when you're uh, an entrepreneur and it's five fifteen, and you mm-hmm. just hung up the hand piece, you written your last note, you should leave outside of your dentistry. You shouldn't think about a thing. And I can speak for myself and I'm sure I can speak for you too. The dentistry towards the end of our clinical, towards the end of your clinical career, I'm sure was the easiest thing you had to do. After 15 years of doing dentistry, it's pretty freaking easy. You don't lose sleep over dentistry. You yeah. lose sleep over regulation and what you're going to do and the advertising and how you do it. I mean, it's just, it's another thing. So maybe you'd be trading off a couple dollars, not owning if you're that entrepreneurial dentist, but what you pick up in emotion and time could be mm-hmm. huge for you. You know, and I just see so many people being pressured by the narrative to go into a position that doesn't naturally suit what they want. They don't know themselves and they go in because everybody's, you know, on the soapbox of saying, yeah, I own three and five practices and Dennis is CEO and blah, blah, blah. So I think that's just an important distinction for people to hear. I like, I like how you're bringing this up, honestly, because it's, it's, I would say disproportionately, our listeners are more in the entrepreneur mindset, right? I mean, that's kind of, that was kind of the, 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 the thesis of the pod in, in the beginning was the, was the, was that I think it, I think it gravitated more. So I like that you're, we're talking to a different class because to, to your point, Craig, you can still apply the same methodology, but you become the business. You become, the brand. you become, you become all the, you're investing in yourself versus investing in the business. Of course. Um, so. Same social media tactics. We talk about same, same exact stuff, same exact stuff but just to grow your own portion of the business. And look, when you have that, right? When you have that built up and you can, de- and you can redeploy that, you, you become more valuable, meaning from a negotiation standpoint, right? 100%. Um, right. Versus like, I just, I need to, I just want to get a job, right? Well, okay. Well, the job is going to pay just what the job pays. But if you come in and say, Hey, I've got, um, you know, 15,000 followers. I can, I know these skills. I'm going to add this value to the business. I'm going to bring blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. I get three requests per week to, to have yeah, everyone's going to follow me. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, the, I'm going to yeah. rise this whole business. That's a different conversation in terms of compensation. Of course. Right. And so that is the one thing to think about. And right. And if you can modify that, 
over time, you're right, Craig, maybe you become the one that wins. Maybe you become almost like, you know, we bellyache about specialists demanding more or specialists demanding this. Maybe you become, you are kind of a quasi specialist at that point, meaning you branded and you have a skill set that probably only one less than 1% of dentists on the planet have. Yep. And, and so you, you, you essentially did specialize just postgraduately you did and post and from a, from a market um, standpoint, you, you're a specialist. You've specialized just not in the context of. No, yeah. You're, you're, you're a specialist, not you're a specialist. endoperio. Sense, I like this. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying? And, and there's, a, there's before this ever happens, there's like, a, well, I can't do that because I don't own my own practice. In other words, they, they believe that the outcome of their future is predicated on the entrepreneur or the ownership structure of the practice. Mm-hmm. You'll find a practice that can support your skill. So, you know, if you're going to take on all these courses and you're going to, you know, learn more techniques and FMR and, you know, rebuilding vertical and stuff like that, and you want to practice in like a, some shitty ass practice, it's not going to meet, it doesn't fit your skills. Right. It's hard to, it's hard to sell 40 and 50, $60,000 cases when you're like literally like in the crappiest location, the crappiest practice. But, you know, you and I have the unique purview of seeing a same part, the same building and seeing massively different results between different providers. Yeah. And it just makes me go like, Hmm, that's interesting. You know, why is it that Dr. You know, one can, can do $2 million of production and Dr. Two can't even get a hundred thousand dollars or, you know, $500,000 of production. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. And, and also something to compound is that the sale of that practice may not be all it's cracked up to be, unless you're a true entrepreneur and you're producing EBITDA revenue without you being there. That's the key. If you're not producing revenue without being there, you're just, you're just kind of fooling yourself. You really are. You don't have a business. And th- even though the offers will come in, the mailers will come in, when you really distill down the numbers and you really, really look at it, they're going to pay you with their own money, with your own money, rather, that you're going to be paid with your own money. Yeah, it's not charity. Meaning, meaning yeah. no, no one's there to say, Hey, you did such a good job with your career. We really respect the hustle you did for 20 years. Here's, here's a lot more money than you're worth. They're going to give you, right. They're, they're business people. They're paying you. They're going to make money in the long term off you. Right. And that's just right. the way business works. I don't blame them. It's I mean, like a paycheck. Otherwise it's like it'd a be paycheck charity. Advance. It's a paycheck advance. It's a pay. It's an eight year. It's a three to eight year paycheck advance. <laughs> right. And if you're going to want to work more than three to eight and years, multiple. you might, you might as well work for the eight, nine and 10th year, and then literally throw it away. <laughs> if you take the taxation and all that into it as well, because you got to remember with long-term capital gains tax going up now as well, mm-hmm. you get that money, which is whatever, three to eight years, then you pay tax on it. It's really two to six years mm-hmm. and you wanted to work seven anyway. So the seventh year and the taxation, you might as well just chuck it and throw it away. So I think know thyself goes <laughs> into know thyself as a business as well. And I think that dentistry and dentists just don't understand that. They're proud that they're owners. They're proud that they're solopreneurs, but in actuality, it's really not that sexy. You got to wait till it's all, everything's done. If you get sick, if something happens to you and your plan is that you wanted to sell your practice at 65, but you're 53 and you get sick, your practice is worth zero. All right. So like, I want to just um, bear with me as I unpack this. Or maybe not zero, but it's. So let's take the solopreneur and then we'll, and then we'll end it on this. So you just said doing dentistry sometimes becomes the easiest part of of dentistry, right? Yes. All right. So let's take the solo uh, of your of your career. Yeah. Of your career, I agree. Right. So, um, so let's take the solopreneur versus the associate. Okay. So I would say the solopreneur is probably spending half 
time doing dentistry physically, right. and then half the time probably running the business. And maybe, maybe that's off. Maybe it's, maybe it's 70, 30, 60, 40, whatever. Right. Okay. The associate is converting a hundred percent of the time. And we just talked about how you can superpower right, that a hundred percent of the time. So in an apples to app, what if that solopreneur took that 40% that they're quote unquote, just running the business mediocre, medi- med- in a mediocre, sta- me- mediocre standpoint, right? Easy for me to say, right. And, and took that hourly that they're being right. And put it into this. So I like where you're going with it. Keep going, Peter. This yeah, is exactly. I, you're, you're helping me like, this is, this is my, this is exactly what I'm trying to say. And so it's sometimes like, it's the belly. Are you being, the stuff are you we, be- we hate the most, the 40% right. we hate the most. And if we just right. take that 40% of time that we kind of gobbled up doing payroll and HR and compliance and OSHA and the, and all the systems and all the stuff we hated and said, Hey, I, I, I convert $20,000 cases all day long. And I couldn't, you could have done that with that 40% of your time in a right. different vehicle. And right. now you're happier, you're health, right. you're wealthier, you're healthier, you have well, less worry. Your well, time, it's also you, like figuring out what your hourly rate is worth. Right, right. There, so yeah. like if you're, if, if. As a solopreneur, a, meaning a the solopreneur, business right. net net. Yes. Right, agreed. right. And as a solopreneur, it'll be easy to conflate. This is quite easy to run the business because it's just you. You know, the trickiest person to manage is usually the most highly compensated. That's you in a solo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like you don't have, you're the racehorse. You're the tough, you're the hard one to manage. If you have, uh, you know, if you're an entrepreneur and you have, you know, 150 team and you have 20 docs, I'm telling you the doctors are going to be the, the hard, the hardest thing to manage most likely, or the highest paid company, you know, the highest paid people are going to be the hardest thing to manage. And you'll say, oh, it's so easy. Just calling in payroll is so easy. It's because you have a team of five. You don't understand it. And then yeah. you think about what are you being paid for that? Imagine if you took that same amount of time, you're an entrepreneur or you're an associate and that 40% of your week, that 10 hours a week, you just started taking real estate classes or met with an advisor or hired, even hired, you know, there's, there's real estate firms out there that will, that will actually manage properties for you. Right. Your return won't be as sexy, right. but your downside would be a lot more highly, yeah, highly, you're highly in a mitigated. You're in a REIT. You did, and and yeah. most dentists at that point are accredited investors. There are a lot of deals open to accredited investors because Right. And I won't go into what defines that, but you are right. We, there are, there's access to deals that can give you decent, solid returns, eight, 9% returns in perpetuity. Right. And I'm just saying, if you took that amount of time that you managed the business and you really compared it to managing another business or investing or managing your investments, I just don't know who would win. I think in a solopreneur situation, I think the entrepreneur will win. Entrepreneur will win all, all day long, typically, because there's high risk, high reward. But I'm just talking about solopreneur, single owner versus entrepreneur, associate dentist. That's discipline. Yeah. And that's the only metric you're looking at in this scenario, right? Who's, who's yep. winning. But if we talk about the burden of stress, okay. the burden of, of doing shit you don't like makes life yep. miserable, which, which makes you think that you hate. I hate being, you know, miserable being a dentist, right? We have this discontent in our profession. You know, why, it, why is it? It's not because it's probably not because you're doing a bunch of awesome life-changing dentistry. It's probably because you're doing the shit that you don't want to do. Like I said, the HR, the OSHA, the, you know, all the stuff that you're like, my God, and I got to do this. It compounds because, you know, you're trying to see two columns of patients, a column or two of hygiene. And then Sally, the hygienist wants to talk to you because she, you know, is really upset and you have to comfort him or her or whatever's going on. So it's just, it's Mm -hmm. a workload. It's compounding of workload. I found when my clinical schedule slowed down or I slowed it down, I had more time to be a good leader. 
So I was booking so hard with clinical dentistry, so much four days a week, running, you know, 10 different docs, 40 team members and doing four days of dentistry. I was not a great leader. I was Mm -hmm. short with people. It was not good. It wasn't good for my team. So you have to actually figure out what you want to be. You had no bandwidth. Yeah. I had none. Um, I like it. I like it. Let's wrap on that. I think that's good. Unless you got anything else to add. I think, I think we we know it at home. No, I appreciate uh, you helping with that because I think it's an important subject to discuss. And um, for those, this is an important topic for you, meaning you, you really want this message to be delivered because, because you've brought this up several times. Um, I think this is important to you because, and you probably have more conversations. Let me try and people know that you're, you're the more, you have the empathy and you want to talk about things that of the two of us. Right. So I think you oh, get course, hit up yeah. a lot more on like, Hey, my life and my happiness and the, you know, these kind of things. And I think you have more context for people, conversations of people saying, mm, I'm really not happy or yeah. The first it's like the first step of true suffering is a narrative that's makes you suffer. You know, we have a guy in our mastermind. He's like, yeah, I got this building and the payment, you know, he's kept, and I had that like breakthrough with him on one of our Tuesday calls. He's like, I'm like, look, he says, I'm only making this amount of money. I'm like, that's not true. You have to take the amount of money you're making because you decided to be an entrepreneur and he owns this building and blah, blah, blah. And then take that amount of money and take the amount of business growth that you did in that year. So if your business went up in Mm -hmm. value by 200 grand or 300 grand, I want to add that to your salary too. And then I want you to take the amount of principal you paid down, the mm-hmm. 70, the 90 grand of principal, because it's a big, he had like a four yeah. and a half million dollar building. And I want you to add that because you're bullshitting yourself if you tell and me. And then you're only take a recent valuation of that building. Right, right? exactly. And, the del- and then add the, the capital. On, yeah, add exactly. that back on. Right. right? So, and, and then, then look at the cap tax savings of doing a cost that, you know, all the right, things. Right, right. That, but that's the truth, Peter. Uh, that's not just an exercise of mental masturbation. That's the God's honest truth. So if you do, if you are that, well, that's a net worth statement versus a, what did I make statement? Right. And the entrepreneur should not be really overly concerned with their salary. You know, Scott Galloway, when he was on our podcast, he said very clearly, I've never made more than $150,000 in salary in any given year. The guy's probably worth like 80 million or something in a double digit millions, but he never made more than X dollars in, in a year. I, I, I literally, and this is no bullshit. I literally just updated because I track net worth every, every month. Cause I think, you know, back to Pearson's law and I have all the things listed buildings, all the buildings, all the, all the debts, you know, so it's, it's assets minus liabilities and tracking all the things. Okay. And so I update, I, I log into my bank accounts. I look at what I owe on buildings and I put it in. And so to your point, Craig, sometimes I'm like, man, you know, it doesn't feel, I don't feel like I'm, I'm, I'm growing here. And then you look at the abatement of what you're doing over time of oh, yeah, the net of, of the abatement of the principle that you just forget about sometimes on buildings or the or the loans on your practice, and so you're building the net net. Yeah, the you net wake worth. up. You wake up overnight, or what seems like overnight, but it's really ten or fifteen years. Like, oh shit, I yeah. paid down that much money in real estate. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. did that. I have that much less. So for those that are chose to be the entrepreneur, it don't give me that. What are you making? You, if you're going to wind up being an yeah, entrepreneur, you have to, you can't think as a salaried worker mm-hmm. longer. You've decided to, you know, invest and investments are, you know, need to be accounted for, not just the amount of money coming in the door. I love it. I love but like it. everything else though, you get to a certain point, you're like, ah, shit, I'm not satisfied anymore. 
I remember thinking I've told you. Well, it's a growth thing. And that's what we preach, right? If you're just, if you're just in, in homeostasis and you're stagnant and like, okay, everything's good. Like that's, that's kind of a boring way to live. And I think, I think idle minds, I think bad shit creeps in. Yeah. So that, that conversation, by the way, where I tell people like, look at your principal reduction and your business valuation before you tell me what you make, that is like an instant game changer for the psychology and well-being of the person that hears that. There was a guy that my, one of my associates had me call this guy named Arvind and he was really upset and blah, 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 blah. And I had the same conversation. I was like, what'd you pay down in principle? Exactly. And what did you do this? What did you do that? What did blah, blah, blah. And he wrote it all down. And what he thought he was making like 150 grand a year. And he's pissed off because as an associate he was making 250. He was really, you know, if you look at the balance sheet and his, his net worth, he made like 400 grand that year. And then instantly felt great about himself. So, you know, and same thing with our masterminder. He's like, that was instant. My, my, my girlfriend was so happy. And it's just so funny how we just, we tend to F ourselves up with the dialogue. And that's the reason for this podcast. And that's the reason why I'm always harping on it because it's not true. You know, so if you're that to to close, if you're that entrepreneur and you're happy and you don't have that entrepreneurial zest and that desire to do it, just invest and take the Mm -hmm. same amount of time that your colleague, the entrepreneur is taking on managing the practice and manage your assets and your wealth. And you will kick ass and you will also decouple your salary and your retirement strategy, which is really, really financially secure. I agree. I agree with you. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We'll get you next time. See ya.